How awesome's today been? I mean, come on. I stepped out of the baptismal font this morning and people asked if my skin had pruned. I mean, that's how long I was in there. But I mean, what an incredible thing to be able to do and how to witness so many people uh, making that step of obedience and going through the waters of baptism and celebrating the life that they have in Christ, risen to new life in him. Will you please pray for them in the coming days, weeks and months? They're going to need prayer. The evil one's going to come against them. There's going to be all these temptations and trials and things that are thrown at them more than they'll possibly experience further into their lives. So please be praying for them. If the Lord brings one of their names to mind, pray for them. That's why he's done it. And uh, that's the call upon our life. So tonight we're going to continue our series on Ephesians, obviously. And uh, the thing is, I'm going to have a much abridged version. I actually got up here and the order of service says I've got half an hour. I won't do that to you, I promise. Okay, so we'll, we'll make this a much shorter message this evening so you can continue to celebrate with those who've been baptised. So let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence in this place this evening. I thank you you've been here all day, Lord. Thank you so much for the power of the testimonies that have been given and the declaration of those who've given their lives to you, Lord, and have taken this step of obedience in going through the waters of baptism. And now, Lord, we come to your word. And our prayer is very simple. A prayer I pray all the time. Please reveal the truth of your word to us. Let us hear your voice. And more than that, Let us respond to that. Let us change what we're doing in our lives so we can draw closer to you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There's a number of things that we could discuss and bring up from this passage of Scripture. There is so much there, so please go home and read it because this is just going to be a skim across the top, pulling out a couple of the main points that are there. So please go home and read this and dig into it yourselves and see what God is uh, saying to you uh, in the midst of this passage. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that we have been called to walk in love. And I don't know whether I'm a little naive or something, but when I I see some of these things of God, I've been a bit slow in the past or something like that. And when I see this statement and and what is actually said in um, Ephesians 5.2 about walking in love as Christ um, loved us and gave himself up for us, that fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, I immediately think about the way that I'm called to love you guys, the way that I'm called to love my neighbours, And and, and that's what I think of when I think about walking in love. And then when I read what's actually in this passage, there's something else there which I seem to overlook. And it's covered in these passages as well. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And then we love our neighbours. How many of you have done the same thing? I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb. I'm obviously dumb. That's cool. But the life that Jesus gave was one of sacrifice. He didn't pursue his own desires. He didn't pursue what he wanted. He submitted fully to God. And, it was God, and God's will was Jesus' will. Whatever God wanted him to do, Jesus did it. The life Jesus lived was in full accord with the call of God placed upon his life. And so the way he lived his life, all he did and said became that fragrant offering And sacrifice that was mentioned in Ephesians 5.2. And the life that we are called to is the same. And we look at verses 3 to 7 in the passage before this. It lays out what um, walking in love really means. We need to understand that we as Christians are no different to those who are yet to know Jesus. Except for one thing. We've come to a point. Those who have gone through the waters of baptism. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to a point where we saw how bad we were. 
we realised the sin that we had committed. And in the midst of that, we realised there was nothing we could do for ourselves. And so to be saved, we depended totally on the Lord Jesus Christ. All that Jesus had done on the cross, it was complete. There was nothing else that needed to happen. His death and resurrection proves that he died for our sins. I don't fully understand how our sins were put upon him, but I know that they were. And I know that he imparts his righteousness upon us. What an incredible thing. And so all we need to do is accept that Jesus has done that. Accept him as our Lord and Saviour. Confess our sin to him. And it was his love. His love that caused him to come and die in my place. That I may know forgiveness of my sins. And that I may be brought into a right relationship with him. And it's only his incredible love that motivated him to do it. And it's that same love that he pours out upon you and I continuously as believers that we experience and respond to, that he expects us to pour into other people's lives. Our lives should be lives lived in gratitude because of what he's done. You cannot truly understand the love of God without being changed. His love will shape us. And if we believe that, if we believe that Jesus' love shapes us, it's not only going to be reflected in what we say, it's going to be evident in how we live, how we behave. Ephesians 3 says, 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Not only should we no longer participate in any kind of sexual immorality or any impurity or covetousness, which could as easily be translated greed or idolatry, but there should not even be talk of it amongst us. We should not have that crude talk that some people do. And realistically, the call here is to only speak those things which honour God, to only do those things which bring glory to Him. Our language should be such that it never dishonours God. I've said it before, you know, when we say in Jesus' name, our lives, our very lives, because we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, everything that we do, we should be able to sign off in Jesus' name. Pastor Darrell and I are very common in one thing, our joy of driving with other people on the road. I guarantee by the time I get home tonight, I'll be going, what's wrong with you, you moron? In Jesus' name. Doesn't really work, does it? And so we've got to be aware that that behaviour is not acceptable. We have to change that behaviour. And I'm working on it. I've got a little better. My wife might deny that, but we'll see how we go. I want to talk about one thing here tonight. One, one aspect that for some reason Christians are very, very uncomfortable with. And this is the only aspect I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about sex. Did God create sex? And did God create sex good? Praise God, people are talking. Oh, I feel like, <laughs> are you married? Those people that said that? <laughs> but it's true. You know, God created sex and he created it good. He said it was good. And we've decided as a people of God that that's a taboo subject. We are not going to talk about it. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if people use this passage of scripture to say we shouldn't talk about it. You know, it's quite clear. But God created sex and he created it incredibly good. The thing is... There's a belief that used to be in the church that sex is actually dirty. 
if God created it and God created it for good, don't call it dirty. Don't let it be called dirty. Don't call something that God has made good and clean dirty. And the problem is, if we don't talk about it here, where are these guys all hearing about it? And what they hear about, is it a language that honours God when it's talked about sex? I don't think so. In fact, it'll be as bad as it gets. And so we need to begin talking about such things and talk about what God envisaged sexual relationships to be and envisage what God said about the marital bed and keeping it pure and everything like that and tell these guys sex is actually good. But God designed it in a certain way and he designed it to be held within marriage and marriage only. Anything outside of that dishonors God and that makes what God created good bad. Is it okay to talk about this? Who's coming to see me straight after the service and say it was unacceptable? Oh, praise God, no one's got their hand up. Whew. But God designed it. And seriously, he knows best. Husbands, wives, pray to God about your sex life. Do it. He can help you with it. Talk about it with him. He designed it. You know, if you've got problems with your car, you know, the best place to take it is back to the manufacturer, the person who knows. If there's any problems with sex in your marriage, take it to him. He designed it. He knows all about it. He'll help you with it. It's the way it should be. And the thing is, we're told, though, don't let any crude talk be in us. And I think sex is one of those things where we allow it to be talked about crudely. And some of the conversations and things that we have make fun of sex and things related to sex and stuff like that. And we're not supposed to do it. We're not supposed to allow it. So I challenge you, don't be a part of that anymore. And, and we're called... We're called to replace that with thanksgiving. Those of you who are married, you can thank God for sex, hopefully. And it's something that God created good, and he created it for your marriage, and he wants to bless your marriage with it. He wants to bless you with children through it. I think it's awesome. And, and um, we should be having thanksgiving and thanking God for what he's done, this incredible thing that he's done. And when we walk in love, loving God first and foremost... And then allowing that love to pour out through us, it must change the way we think. The way we think, the way we talk, the way we live, in and of ourselves and with others. And then when we allow his love to shape us, to change us, then we'll be walking as children of light. That's what God wants. He wants us to be so separated from the world that when people look at us, they go, wow. What is going on there? What is different about those people? And what they see is actually good. And Paul uses this next section from verses 8 to 14 to speak about why we should not be involved in all the bad things mentioned previously. God's going to return and he's going to judge you. Interesting, when we speak about the gospel, we don't talk about that bit. But it's very much a part of the gospel. And Paul plays on this symbolism of darkness and light. In 7 and 8 it says... Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And when we speak about our new life in Christ, we often say that we've moved from darkness to light. That's an analogy that everyone uses all the time. And it seems to indicate this environment that we're in. You know, I was surrounded by darkness and everything like that. Now I've stepped into the light. And that's really awesome. That's great terminology to use and it's very, very true. But what does this say? 
It doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. And you moved from being darkness to being light. Is, am, am I misinterpreting what's before us? But when we didn't know Jesus Christ, we were darkness. And there's so much contained in that when we think about it. Darkness cannot ever dispel light. But light can and does dispel darkness. And it's us in acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour that allows his light to shine into our lives. And it transforms us. It's an incredible thing. It's powerful. We become this new creation that we've been preaching about through the series of Ephesians. And that occurred when Jesus' light shone upon us. And we became his children. Thessalonians re-emphasizes this too. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And as a result... Our lives are to be lives that reflect the very nature of God. We are to be those children of light that we're called to be. And the new life we have in Christ will be a life that will shine everything that is good. That's what happens when you reflect God. You shine everything that is good out to those around the world. You're to be that beacon, that lighthouse that we speak about so frequently that people will be drawn to. And they will find safety and shelter in the God that you reflect. Anything, anything that is exposed to the light becomes visible. And if we honestly, truly want to live, as this passage calls us to, as children of light, we must first and foremost allow and permit God to shine his light into every corner of our lives. Give him permission to reveal any areas you need to deal with, anything in your life, in my life, that is not honouring him. And when we do, ask him to continue to shine that light upon you. And as he does, as you live in submission to him, his light will shine through you. People will be drawn to it. And surely that's what we want. We want people brought into the kingdom. It was Jesus' light shining into your life that made you realize your desperate need of him. And it's Jesus' light shining through you that made you draw your friends to Jesus. And we've heard that in the testimonies that have been given today, some of them. Jesus' light doesn't just reveal sin and attitudes that are opposed to God. It transforms. There's a light that reveal, first reveals and then transforms. It makes that which was dark light. And finally, tonight, there's plenty more. We're just going to talk about walking as the wise. And this is 15 to 17. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Not, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I love this bit of Ephesians. Paul says that submitting to and following Jesus is wise. It's so counter to the world, isn't it? I have so many people when I was a Christian growing up uh, as a young man who would say I was such an idiot to believe in God. But when we think about it in an eternal perspective, God says it's wise. It is wise to believe and follow Jesus. 
And then he emphasizes that this new life is one that is active. Our choices are to be lived out. It is to shape us and it's to be seen in how we behave. And all through Ephesians, it's this consistent call on how we are to live as Christians. If you remember, Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says he calls us to no longer live according to the world, the flesh and the devil. And in Ephesians 4, 17, he says, we are no longer to walk like unbelievers or Gentiles, but we are to walk in a manner worthy of God's call on our life, in love and as children of light. And that's mentioned in 4, 1, 5, 1 and 5, 8 as well. It's a consistent thing throughout Ephesians. And now in this passage, he calls us to walk as the wise. And he credits every believer to being wise because they've submitted to God. And then we're to look carefully at how we walk. Think about your hobbies, your jobs. And everyone, have we got anyone here who skydives regularly? No? Praise God. They've given another thing to pray for. But you know, you think about it, a guy who goes skydiving, do you think he just races in to the hangar, grabs the first chute, knows nothing about it, jumps on the plane? Or do you think he checks that out? Do you think he prepares? Do you think he's careful about what he does with that? People who go boating, do we have some boaters? Yeah, we've got this little thing that goes in the back of the boat, don't we? Do you check that every time before you go out, the bung? Yeah, yeah. You know, for those of us who don't boat, you've got no idea what I'm talking about, eh? But you don't put that in, you'll be okay while the boat's going fast. As soon as you stop, the boat goes to the bottom. And, And so we prepare ourselves. We carefully consider everything that we do. And... You know, I've been in a situation where the bung was forgotten. It's not nice. We just started bailing and sped back up and went back to the boat ramp. But this is what he's saying to you. He said, be careful. You know, think about what you're doing. And, you know, people who fly planes too, they don't jump into a plane that's never been serviced or anything like that and take off without checking it out. Everything is checked carefully. And it's especially the little things that have a huge difference in bearing. And so we're to make the most of our time. We're called to use that time we have to the best of our advantage. And as children of God, it's to be used in line with what he calls us to do. Time is about opportunity. When God presents to us an opportunity to speak about him, to live a life of purity before others, to seize a moment for him, it's a time that may never come again. And I'm not saying that to beat you up if you've let something slip by. But God presents opportunities to us and we never know what God is going to do over something very simple. We, we had someone who ended up having this incredible story that they told a work colleague. Uh, they, they, they ended up being able to present the gospel because they mentioned that they come to our life group and everything over a piece of cake. Crazy. But she saw an opportunity when someone asked her about where she got this piece of cake from to talk about the fact she got it from her life group and a life group studies God's word and this is what we studied last night. And it just went on and on and on over a piece of cake. It's about taking those opportunities that God gives us. And I know there's many guys here who can talk about those good news stories where they just seized an opportunity that God gave them, a very silly opportunity by some people's standards. But in the end, they were able to proclaim the gospel to someone because they seized that opportunity. That's what God wants us to do. And I know I've messed up. I think, I'm not sure if I've told you the story about the guy in Carindale. I was walking through Carindale one day. He was in a wheelchair and God said, I want you to go up and I want you to lay hands on him and pray for that man's healing. God, you're nuts. How dumb is that of me? 
we all mess up. And you know what? It's one of the biggest regrets in my life that I didn't obey God and do it. What if the guy got up and walked? Doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about being obedient to God, about answering his call, about being willing to do what he has called us to do and making most of those times and opportunities. If we are wise in the things of God, we will recognise the opportunities that he presents to us and we'll make the most of the time that he gives us in the midst of those opportunities and in those particular moments. And that speaks to what is said in verse 17 here. Wise people. Wise people, as Paul says, will discern God's will. It's a call to acknowledge, accept and submit my will, what I want, to him and hold fast to the biblical truth that wisdom is only truly found in being in the midst of God's will. Is it easy? No. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is someone who was perfect, who had an incredible relationship with God. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's begging God, if there is some other way to do this, Lord, please, let's do that. And he finishes with, but not my will, your will be done. In the midst of our lives, through the struggles and everything that we're doing, we have to arrive at the same point. We have to say, Lord, this is difficult, this is hard, I don't understand it, I don't even know what you're doing in the midst of this, but Lord, I trust you. And I just want to say, Lord, whatever you have planned, I want out. But ultimately, Lord, your will be done. Use me at this time for your purposes. I submit myself fully to you. We pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Obeying God regardless of what he says. That's what we're praying. Are you willing to live it out? Are you willing to say, Lord, that's me. I'm willing to do this. It's a call for us to discover and make God's will our will. And nothing should be more important to us as children of God. And his will covers that first call to all believers to make us like Jesus. And the second call of his will is specific to us as individuals. It's different for each one of us. What career should I pursue? Should I get married? Is that God's intention in my life? Should I go overseas? They're all important questions. So the general will of God is found in Scripture. We can all read that and understand that. But God's specific will for you, listen very carefully, God's specific will for you will not contradict anything in Scripture. But it's a little bit harder to discern. It's a little bit harder to find. So his will for your life is something that you're going to have to seek out. His will for your life is something that may take a little bit of trial and error. His will for your life is one of those things that you're going to find through prayer. You have to pray personally. You have to be found on your knees before God if you seriously want to know what he wants you to do with your life. And then you have to gather around you some trusted Christian friends, people who will actually tell you you're wrong if they need to tell you that. Don't don't get a Christian advisor who's always patting you on the back and telling you how great you are. It's useless to you. You need someone who is going to tell you the truth. I'm all for words of encouragement, but if someone tells you the truth, they'll encourage you, but they'll call it the way they see it when you're doing things that are wrong. And when you're seeking God's will, you need that person to say, you know what, that's wrong. You shouldn't head in that direction. And they usually will pick up this and say, this is why you're wrong. And they'll tell you. 
Have those trusted Christian friends around you, even you guys who are young, you know, those who were baptised together tonight, if you're good friends, why don't make a prayer triplet there? You don't have to do that. It's just a suggestion. But, you know, we need to be gathering people together so that we can discern God's will. And then you may also need to seek the wisdom of mature Christians, people who've done this walk before. And this is particularly relevant too, if God lays out a career path for you or some way forward in mission or something like that, and you want to know a little bit more about it, it is great to speak to an older person who's been through there and done exactly the same thing. We've got some retired missionaries in our church who'll be able to talk about mission and things like that. And we have a bevy of people who've been in different jobs who again will be able to talk into your life. That's what we need to do. We need to seek wise counsel and seek the Lord in all that we do. I'm going to close in prayer and I believe we're closing in a, with a song. And um, if you've got any questions at all, please come and see me. If you want to pray, I love praying. If you just want to come and praise God for today, let's do that because it's been awesome. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, this word has been brief this evening. I just pray that it's spoken to people's hearts. I pray that people have been challenged. And Lord, if they have been challenged, let them do a work with you. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about anyone else around them. It's between you and them. And I just pray, Lord, that by power of Holy Spirit, you will move in their hearts in such a way that they want to change so they draw closer to you. And Lord, if they need someone to pray with them, let them come forward. I love praying with people, Lord. I love seeing them engage with you. Let us just have a great time sharing together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Charlie. Um, let's just stand together and sing our final song.